Please take out your Bibles. We'll be turning to the book of uh, 1 Peter. As we do that, I might just pray. I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to open up your word this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you might say to us today, Lord God. Give us soft hearts, Lord. May the soil of our hearts, Lord, be like the good soil that you talk about, Jesus, where the seed is sown on it and it produces a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown, Lord God. We turn our hearts to, towards you now, Lord. We thank you, God, that your word is, is powerful and that you have, it, is, it is God-breathed. So speak to us now, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So 1 Peter, and uh, this morning I'm going to be continuing on this series that we've started perhaps a month ago. Andrew's been preaching from 1 Peter, and we've looked at our identity, a new birth, this call to holiness was uh, the message last week, and uh, all to do with this theme of true grace. What is the true grace of God? And uh, in many ways, what I have on my heart this morning to share flows on, I guess, a bit from last week, the call to holiness, that in response to the true grace of God, you know, our response is to walk in holiness. And so another aspect of that, I believe, is in response to the true grace of God, to live in reverence. And so I mean, what I mean by this is our, our heart's attitude towards the Lord and towards His presence, towards all that He's done. And so if you take nothing else away this morning, hopefully there'll be a few things that the Lord breathes His life on, but if there's nothing else you take away this morning, my heart is that you would leave here, all of us would leave here, having been stirred and challenged in our hearts in how and to what degree reverence and awe is operating in our lives. And so this morning, you might like to reflect on this question as we begin. How is my reverence for God, my level of reverence for God and all He's done, and also how is my reverence for His presence? So that's, we'll head there as we go on this morning. But first of all, we'll be in 1 Peter 1, verse 17. I might actually pick it up in verse 15 just to flow on a bit from last week. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And so I want to just unpack a few things from these few verses this morning, but in particular, this phrase that Peter uses in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear, with fear. And other translations say with reverent fear or with reverent awe. 
So I believe that Peter is exhorting us, challenging us, encouraging us to conduct ourselves, to live our lives with reverence, with reverence and awe before the Lord. And so what I believe he's saying is, is, is kind of like this, like don't treat him casually. This holy God who calls you to holiness, this mighty, righteous God to whom we will have to give account of our lives, this gracious God who's ransomed us, who has poured out his grace and his love upon us. This is serious, guys. Don't just treat him casually or flippantly. And, you know, unfortunately, I guess we live in a day and a society and a culture that is in many ways quite irreverent or quite indifferent, certainly to the things of the Lord. And this concept of reverence or the fear of the Lord is not something that is perhaps focused on as much in modern society, but particularly modern Christianity as well. Just like this uh, call to holiness that we heard about last week, or another more unpo- uh, unpopular or less popular topic, I guess, is this whole idea of repentance as well. It's not as popular as a message on, say, God's grace or His love, how He just wants to bless us all the time. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that you'd be likely to see a book on the New York Times bestseller list titled something like A Call to Reverence or A Call to Holiness, A Call to Repentance. It just doesn't quite have the same ring to it as, you know, some of the other popular titles out there. But in spite of that, I believe it is something that is so vital for us as Christians to grasp and to have operating in our lives. William Barclay states that, well, stated that the Christ-filled life is the life of reverence. And that reverence is the attitude of mind of the person who is always aware that they are in the presence of God. Imagine if we lived life in that way, with that constant awareness that we're actually in the presence of this holy, righteous God. It would change things, I believe. And so I believe that there is a link between reverence and repentance. And we'll look at that a little bit as we go on this morning. But I also believe that reverence fuels our worship. And also that reverence causes us to value and honor and cherish His presence in our lives. And so when we're thinking, when we're talking about this fear that Peter is referring to here in the passage... You know, we could think of a number of times throughout the Bible where fear or the fear of the Lord is mentioned. In Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom in your life, it's a great place to start with the fear of the Lord, with reverencing Him, with giving Him His rightful place in your life. And then in, uh, a little bit later on in Proverbs, Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen, it says that the one who fears the Lord, so who reverences Him, who lives in or of him who honors him, they will be blessed in all that they do. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed in all that I do. Anyone else in the same boat? Good. A few of us here this morning. So the fear of the Lord that's talked about in the, in the Bible and that Peter's referring to here is not a negative, horrible thing. It's not a terror that he's against us, that he's just waiting for a moment to strike us down without a moment's notice. But rather, it's this healthy respect, this reverence and honor of who God is, of His power, 
of his might and, and of what he is capable of doing. And it's actually a really good and constructive thing to have operating in our lives. And in fact, in Matthew 10, I think around verse 28, Jesus himself teaches us and urges his disciples. He, he says, you know, do not fear, in the negative sense of the word, do not fear man, but he's encouraging us to rather fear with rever- reverential awe and fear of God, fear, fear, fear the Lord, which is a constructive thing. And so how many of us know that there are things that it's good to have a healthy fear of in our lives? You know, a busy road, lots of cars, it's good to have a healthy fear of the traffic and what the cars are capable of doing and how you might respond to that. For me, there are things in my life that I have a healthy-ish fear of, I guess. One of those is horses. I've always been a little bit, you know, wary of them, these big creatures that, you know, they what they can do. And I think part of it as well is they have this sense that when there's someone a little bit, you know, wary of them. So part of it is that I know that they know that, you know, I'm a bit wary of them. And it's kind of, I can remember back in year 10 for the outdoor education class that I did at high school. Um, one of the, you know, I thought outdoor ed, fantastic. That'll just be all sport. That'll be great. And then one of the components of that class was horse riding. And so part of that, we had to go and we got our horse each week and we had to put the saddle on and like ride it. And that was definitely way out of my comfort zone there. But I have a healthy respect, I guess, and fear of horses. And uh, my uh, brother-in-law, Brendan, great guy who's playing guitar this morning, leads worship here, and uh, he has a healthy respect or a healthy fear of blue bottles. And uh, I've got his permission to share this, so hopefully it won't embarrass him too much. But a number of years ago, we were, we were on a family holiday uh, down at, uh, or up at Jarvis Bay, and you know, it was a great house we were staying in. It was literally 50 meters to the beach, and we wanted to make the most of our time there at the beach. The water was just the perfect temperature. The waves were great. But the only issue was that particular summer, there'd been so many um, you know, storms and just rain and all sorts of stuff happening with the weather. And so there was just thousands of blue bottles that had been washed up, literally thousands, on the beach, right up and down. And of course, there were plenty in the water as well. And, uh, you know, we, just, we decided that we'd brave it. You know, we're at the beach. You're only at the beach a week or so every year, so you want to make the most of it. So we went in. We knew the risk. We knew what they were capable of, but we still went in. And, uh, you know, the time we were there, I'm thankful to say that I wasn't stung at all. But unfortunately, Brendan got stung on two occasions, I believe. So, I don't know, maybe he just didn't pray hard enough before getting in. I'm not sure. But the second time, he, he came out from under a wave. He felt the sting on his leg. He like, tried to flick it off. It attached to his hand. And then as he was wiping away the water from his face, it stung all on his face as well. So needless to say, he has a healthy fear, I guess, of blue bottles. And at our recent youth camp, uh, there was a day we weren't able to swim at the beach, unfortunately, just because it was too rough. So we went to this ocean pool, which, again, had some blue bottles present. Many of the youth, uh, you know, knew the risk and got in anyway. But Brennan, because he has this healthy respect and fear of blue bottles, he didn't actually get in. To be fair, he was helping with some other stuff. So it wasn't just, uh, yeah. But this, this, it's good to have, a, I guess, this healthy fear and respect of things. And so as we look at this passage this morning, you know, why, rever- uh, why reverence, why fear? When Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. 
Why doesn't he say, conduct yourselves with love? Isn't love super important? Conduct yourselves with grace. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. Conduct yourselves with holiness. The list could go on. Well, I believe there's something about reverence. I believe that reverence causes us to have a proper and rightful view of God and of who He is. And so if we live before Him with reverence, with this right understanding and perspective of who God is, naturally all those other things that I just mentioned, the love, the grace, the holiness, etc., will be present as well. And Peter, in fact, goes on in the rest of uh, this letter that I'm sure we'll get to over the next, over the coming weeks, and he gives these encouragements, these exhortations about loving earnestly, about putting away malice and slander and deceit and all those kind of things. He talks about how we're to bless in the face of persecution and evil. He talks about clothing ourselves with humility. And I think he, he, he says those things after the, the exhortation to fear and to live in reverence because if, if he has rightful place, the other things will have their rightful place as well. So Peter, issuing this call to live here, and he uses this term, the time of your exile, and Andrew touched on that a few weeks ago. But basically what he means by that is that we're here as sojourners. We're here uh, in the time of our exile, knowing that heaven is our true home. So we're to live here in fear and reverence, and it's almost like this warning against familiarity and complacency, but also as a response to the price that Jesus paid for our lives. So I just want to bring a few things out this morning around and ask this, what does reverence and godly fear produce in us, in our lives? What's the value of it? First of all, reverence causes us to have right perspective. We live in reverence because of who God is and because of all he's done. And so if we just kind of stop there and just focus upon that sentence for a moment, who he is and what he's done, like that alone is enough to, to keep us in that place of wonder and reverence. He's this holy, eternal, matchless God. You know, he's omniscient, omnipresent. He, he loves us. He's poured his grace on us. He saved us. Like if we just think on those things, the majesty, the wonder of God and who he is, that alone is enough to cause us to live in this place of reverence and awe. Last night, my wife Steph and I, we went out for dinner at uh, pretty much our, well, our favorite restaurant. It's a little bit out of town, out at Gundaroo. And um, on the way home, I don't know if anyone else saw this incredible lightning display, this amazing storm that had been brewing. And uh, part of it was like, wow, this is amazing. Part of it was also like this kind of, Whoa, I hope that's not starting any fires anywhere as well. It was that much lightning. And uh, we're driving home on the, the road and then the highway, and it was just spectacular looking at the way the, the, the sky was just lighting up with all this lightning. And it, just was, it was just going on and on and on and on. And so initially, yeah, there was that sense of wonder and amazement. And after a while, there was no big lightning strike, so you're just kind of like, oh, it's nice, you know. And then all of a sudden, you get one that totally lights up the whole re region around you. And there's this sense of awe and amazement. Whoa, that was amazing, incredible. And it just makes you, it made us think like God is, is incredible, that he, he made all of that, like that he's so powerful. But I think there's a danger for us, perhaps, 
in the church and perhaps for those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while as well. You know, we, 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 are in this, we start in this place of reverence and awe and wonder at who God is, what He's done. But then, you know, it's easy to just kind of get a bit familiar, a bit complacent with His goodness, with who He is. And then it takes like a massive lightning strike. And then, whoa, all of a sudden we're in this place of reverence again. Let's never lose our wonder at the Lord and the price He's paid for us. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. It says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. What an amazing phrase that is. He inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. He's the eternal God, infinitely holy, matchless in glory, yet he still dwells with us. What an incredible thing that is. And I believe that reverence will lead us, first of all, to have this contrite and lowly spirit as we recognize who he is. Because if our perspective of him is right, then our perspective of ourselves will be right as well. We recognize that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that we're in desperate need of His transforming work in our lives, His power to to be changing us, transforming us. I certainly need that. And as I just touched on earlier, I believe that there's a link between reverence and repentance. It's kind of like a, a bit of a... A cycle, like reverence leads to repentance, repentance leads to reverence. If we look throughout the Bible, there are many times throughout the Bible, but time doesn't permit us to look at all of them, of course, but any time throughout the Bible where there was genuine repentance operating, there was also a response of reverence to the Lord as a result. We could look at the Israelites on more than one occasion. Time and time again, it says, you know, again, the people of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then, you know, they're there and they cry out to the Lord. They return to Him. There's this sense of repentance and returning to acknowledge the rightful place of the Lord in their lives. We could look at David, for example. And I I feel like he was someone who throughout his life, he, he understood who God is. He had this honor for the Lord that was reflected in, in, in his heart, you know, his heart after God, but also in his treatment of Saul. You know, David was the anointed king, yet Saul was kind of there, had done a bad job, and there was many opportunities that David had to perhaps get rid of him, kind of speed up the process a little bit along the way, and people encouraged him in that as well. And yet he says, no, 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 this is the Lord's anointed, like far be it from me to do anything against the one the Lord's anointed. He had this sense of reverence and respect and awe of who God is. And even when he, his moral failure, when he um, you know, committed adultery with Bathsheba and all the stuff around that, when you read the words of Psalm 51, that amazing psalm, that repentant psalm, you can see right through there that, that right perspective of God in his life. We could look at Nebuchadnezzar as well and Daniel, this great mighty king who God humbles. And after a period of time just being humbled out of the palace, he comes to his senses, the Bible says. He 
he returns, he repents, and then there's this response of reverence. He, he says that, you know, God is the God of heaven who rules and reigns. And, you know, this, there's, so there's this link between when there's a response of repentance to reverence and vice versa. And so another aspect of this right perspective that reverence brings to us is here in 1 Peter where he's saying it's so important we live in fear and reverence because we're sojourners here. We're on this journey in this world. We belong to another place. And our lives are lived in the shadow of eternity with our hearts and minds set not just on the here and now, but on where we're going and what is to come as well. And flowing on further from that, Peter is saying that, yes, we're, we're going towards, we're heading to God. And yes, we can call him Father. In the first part of verse 17, he says, if you call him Father, Jesus himself said, yes, instructed us to pray, Father in heaven. But if you call him Father, we must understand that he's also this God who judges all with strict impartiality. That there will be a day where we do actually have to give account for our lives before him. And as such, we have this incredible destiny to step into here in this world. And life here becomes so important because it leaves, leads to the life beyond. Conduct yourselves with fear because this brings right perspective to us. Second point, reverence causes us to worship. And I think it can sometimes be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this concept of the fear of the Lord or reverence is kind of an old, more an Old Testament thing that's now been set aside or surpassed by the love and the grace of God in the New Testament. Well, last, you know, last time we heard about this idea of hyper-grace where, you know, because of the grace of God, we think grace means there's now nothing to fear in our behavior. Not so, of course. I believe it should actually, this fear of the Lord and this reverence should be an even greater thing for us who live this side of the cross because of the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice and the work that he's accomplished for us. And so after exhorting us to live our lives with reverence and godly fear, Peter goes on to say this word in, in verse 18. He says, knowing, knowing. I believe that's an important word. It's not just something that we have in the back of our mind, like, oh, yeah, I know, I've heard about that before, but something that needs to be in the forefront of our minds and, and the center of our lives and our gaze, knowing what? That you were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. That alone is enough to make us live, to help us live in reverence, knowing that we have been ransomed the precious blood of Christ. And because of this, our lives are of such incredible value that we have this responsibility to not waste or throw away this gift He's given us. And our response to this gift must be reverence, which then leads us to worship. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, you know, therefore, in view of God's mercies, it's like he's saying, because of all he's done, in light of all he has done, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so gratitude and worship are due in light of and in response to our salvation. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, let us therefore 
offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God's a consuming fire. So let me just uh, bring this thought to us this morning. Acceptable worship. It says in Romans 12 about, um, you know, in view of God's mercies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or acceptable act of worship. And so we know that worship is not just about singing the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, but it's actually our lives. It's an, our lives being an offering to the Lord. So when it talks about in, in Hebrews 12, bringing acceptable worship with reverence and awe, could we say that acceptable worship is given with reverence and awe? So therefore, our acceptable worship, our lives as an offering, must be lived with reverence and awe before the Lord. Reverence leads us and causes us to worship. Finally, reverence causes us to value and honor His presence. Right at the start of this year, um, my wife and our boys and I, we went down the coast for a day trip. And as we were heading down there, we drove through the town Mogo, which is just outside Batemans Bay. I've driven through there many times before. But this particular occasion, I just noticed the sign uh, for some reason. And it said, you know, welcome to Mogo, gold mining town, or I can't remember the exact words, but established 18 something. And it kind of, as, as we drove on, I was just thinking about that period in history in our nation where it was the, the gold rush or the Eureka Stockade, it might have been, may have been called, where, you know, many would just flock to these places where gold was or they hoped to find gold, hoped to make their fortune and all that sort of thing. But in the midst of that, so many towns, so many villages were established um, because of the seeking after of the gold, because of the hope of finding gold. And so there was something so precious about gold, so valuable that people believed that they could find, that they were willing to kind of build their lives and pursue that thing of great worth. And so towns and villages were established. And so it kind of got me thinking about, for us as Christians, I believe that we are to be a people who value and honor and camp around His presence. Something so valuable, like gold for many people, like His presence must be something so valuable. And we're called to, to kind of, you know, even if it means dropping everything to go and, and build our lives around that, seek after that which is of great worth. And you know, for those people back in the day, seeking after gold and their fortune and building their towns and livelihoods around that, it wouldn't have made, like, there would have been no point if they didn't uh, value or consider gold worthwhile. Why would you uproot all your life to go in pursuit of this thing? And so for us, if we're to value and honor and, and camp around His presence, it's kind of difficult if we don't have reverence for Him in the first place because we won't consider it valuable enough. And so in the Old Testament, there's much evidence, you know, time and time again, we see the fear of the Lord operating in the way that, you know, they respond. Time permits us from looking at all those things. But what I want to bring out is that the people of Israel, they literally camped around the presence of the Lord. The way that their camp was set up, and you can read about that, I think, in the early part of Numbers, as they 
sojourned through the desert as they were heading towards the promised land for many, many years, they, they set up their camp with the tent of meeting or the, the tabernacle, which represented the dwelling place of God or his presence, right smack bang in the center of everything. And from there, the camp was set up. But what was in the center? The presence of the Lord. They had this value, this, this awe, this reverence for the Lord and his presence among them. Would you turn with me just quickly as we kind of bring this to a close to Exodus 33. And we see in the life of Moses a reverence for the Lord, but also just this, this value and honor for his presence. It says in verse 13, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not go in your co- going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And it goes on. The Lord you know, passes before him and gives him a glimpse, I guess, of his glory and his, his goodness. But I love this cry of Moses. Show me your ways that I might know you, that I might know you. Moses didn't just kind of casually come up to the Lord and say, you know, uh, I could really, I need something. When he needed something, some water from the rock would be nice, Lord, or I love some bread and some quail from heaven. He didn't just kind of come when he, when he felt like it, when he needed it. This was his heart's cry. Show me your ways, Lord. I want to know you. I believe he had a healthy and right understanding of who God is. And he also had this value for his presence. And he modeled the conducting yourselves with reverence and awe and godly fear that we've looked at this morning in 1 Peter. And this led to Moses having right perspective of God. And the worship flowed from that. Look at what happens in Exodus 34 verse 8. The Lord descends, appears to Moses, passes before him. And it says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He's quick to respond to God in the rightful way. So to bring all this together this morning, oh, that we would be a people who recapture what it means to fear the Lord, to live our lives in reverence and awe before Him, to not be casual or flippant in our approach to God because of who He is, because of where we're headed, and because of the price that he paid for us. So I pray that we would be a people who, in response to the true grace of God, live in reverence, so that we have right perspective of who he is and who we are, so that we are a people who know what it is to worship, and so that we are a people who value and honor his presence. Peter says, you know, conduct yourselves with fear, and so... As we live our lives in reverence, there's going to be a flow-on effect with the way that we live, how we conduct ourselves, yeah? There's going to be evidence of a life of reverence and awe, evidence that we have 
our life in order in terms of right perspective, the Lord in his rightful place. So let me encourage all of us this morning to live our lives with reverence and awe before him, to not lose the wonder and uh, trust that he will continue just to, to lead us and build those other things in our lives as well. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we bring our service to a close? If we could maybe get some keys, or that would be great. Seeing as you, one of your strings snapped, the guitar won't be much good. And uh, as always, if you'd like prayer for anything this morning, please make your way forward at the end of the service. There's a great team of people ready and willing to pray for you, who counted a privilege to pray for you. But I just want to, I guess, uh, issue this invitation as well in response to what we've been looking at this morning through the Word. Um, and it's this. If you, just, if you feel like you just need to do business with God, whether it's you know, to recapture what it means to, to reverence Him, to have Him in His rightful place, to have right perspective of God. If Perhaps you may just be thinking, oh, yeah, I've just been a bit casual and just kind of been wanting some of God, but also happy to kind of want some of the world as well. Whatever it might be, I'd, I'd love to just invite you to come and respond to the Lord. Uh, you might like to kneel before Him if you're able or just just uh, sit before Him. And just, just come afresh this morning and just... Ask Him to reignite that sense of reverence and awe in your heart and life for Him. So that's the call this morning. Let me just pray for you. Lord, thank You that You've been here in our midst today. I thank You, Lord, that You're good and You're faithful. And Lord, in a world and a society that in many ways is so irreverent and indifferent, Lord. May we not be like that, Lord. May we be a people who know what it is to reverence you, Lord God, who know what it is to set you apart as Lord in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, uh, forgive us for the times where we don't do that. Forgive us for the times where our failure to uh, just have the right perspective and have you in your rightful place in our lives has then led to a flow-on effect to the way that we live, our attitude towards you and towards others, Lord God. And this morning, we want to come back to that place, Lord, that we would be a people who recapture what it is to live in reverence and awe before you, Lord God, because of who you are and because of the price that you paid for us, that you ransomed us with the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, may we never lose the wonder. May we never lose the wonder that you dwell with us, Lord. That time and time again, your presence is here in our midst. And Lord, I just want to thank you 
for each, of, each person here. And I just bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus with hope, with joy, with peace, with encouragement. And as we go from here, may we go filled up and ready to face whatever comes this week, knowing that you are with us and you are for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.